Man, Spanish River, how are you guys doing? Nice. Nice. It's Labor Day weekend. We get a day off from work tomorrow. That's good stuff, right? Man, so good to be with you. My name is Brian. I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Spanish River, and it is great to be with you this morning. Hey, we're continuing our series entitled Remember the Church. And if you can remember back to about a month ago, Pastor David uh, started off this series with a question. He said, why did Jesus come? And there's a lot of answers to that, but Jesus came to build a church. Jesus came to establish a church, a church that would be his bride, that he would give his life for on the cross. One that he would raise again, one that we are a part of now. But in continuing this series, as we've been walking through remembering the church, I pose this question to you today. What is God's purpose in the church? If Christ came to establish the church, if he came to build a church, well, what's the purpose of it? See, there's going to be a lot of different answers to that question. If I, if I was asking for responses, I'm sure a number of you would give me, give me different ones. One of them, and probably one of the more popular ones, and, and this is true, is, is well, the, the church is on mission. I mean, we look at passages in Mark 16, we look at passages in Matthew 28, right? And we are to go into all the world and preach the good news. The church is, the church is on the move. We are advancing we are a part of the Lord's army, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that is part of the church's purpose. Others would say, well, the church's purpose is social issues. And it's care for those who are disenfranchised and on the outskirts. I mean, it's James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, who said that pure religion is what? But caring for widows and orphans. You can look at Matthew 25 as well, the passage of the sheep and the goats. The goats are separated. The sheep are ushered into paradise. And why? Because, because God of the judgment says, you visited the prisoners and you clothed the naked and you gave water to the thirsty and food to the hungry. And so people will say, that's the purpose of the church. Our job is to go and be social change and care for those who are disenfranchised. And then others may say, others may say, both of those are correct. I agree with both of those. But others may say, well, what about, what about just a place of rest? This world is hard and it's broken. And the church is a place of refuge. A place to gather with like-minded people. And to be able to be encouraged and comforted. That's, that's the purpose of the church. And all of those are great answers. But in the passage that we're going to look at today, I think Paul has a different idea of what God's purpose for us is and what his purpose for the church, both collectively, the Catholic church, the universal church, as well as here at Spanish River. And that is to see a group of people and a community and a congregation growing in fullness and maturity into the person of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 16 verses. If you have a phone as well, take it out. You can open up the Bible app or pull up BibleGateway.com. We have free Wi-Fi, like any Starbucks, I guess. <laughs> but we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Here, Paul is writing to a church 
A church made up of a very diverse group of people. And he is going to be explaining to them, this is the purpose of who you are and your gathering as a church. So the word of the Lord as found in the book of Ephesians. Picking up in chapter 4, verse 1. When I'm done reading, I'm going to try something. I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and you guys are going to say back, thanks be to God. All right? Can we do that? All right. Awesome. You guys were like so energetic when I welcomed you, so I'm like, all right, let's keep it going. Here we go. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I'm actually going to skip down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into, uh, into Christ, into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint with which it is equipped, with each part, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So here we are, Paul laying out for us this idea of this is what the church is for. Now, I am about to celebrate 15-year anniversary with my wife uh, this upcoming December. So that's, thank you, thank you. I'm amazed she stuck with me as well. Now, um, God has been blessed, or God has blessed us Uh, with four kids. And if you've known me for any bit of time, you probably know that I talk about that a lot. It's a big part of my life. But here's the thing. In our, in our culture and with kids and with, with the idea of, of growing up, we tend to put a lot more attention and a lot more focus on birth than we do on growing and maturing, right? So with my four kids, when we had our first, our boy, right? We were ecstatic, we were ecstatic. You know, we put the whole birth announcement together. We went and got like 2,000 shutterfly things, you know, for like a nickel each. I'm passing them out to people on the street. Hey, we had a kid. Check it out. Right? Then we had our second. Now, our second was a girl. So we're still super excited. Pink everything, you know. Got the name, the weight, the time she was born, everything. A lot less of those. I wasn't passing those out quite as much. Then we had our third. 
We sent out an email blast, but it looked great, right? And then our fourth came along, and I think, I think she got like a Facebook post. <laughs> and I was like, hey, we had a kid. Have a good Saturday, right? But there is, there's this sense, perhaps maybe you've had children of your own, grandkids, perhaps it's a nephew or a niece. Maybe if you're old enough, you can remember when a younger sibling was even born. There's this excitement over new. There's excitement over new cars as well, right? There's excitement over an acceptance to a new school or a new opportunity, job, whatever it is. We love the new. There's joy in that. And the birth and, and the new baby is easy, right? Said from the dude, right? But, but here's the thing. What gets a lot less attention is the growth and maturing of that child. That is hard. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's the late night, do we go to the emergency room or not? That's the, I can't believe I have to deal with this again. That's the, I guess we have a parent-teacher conference. How do we discipline this? Oh no, this, that, whatever. Growing up is difficult. The birth is joyful. And the new baby is joyful, but the growing is hard. And it can be very similar when we look at the church, we can say, man, a new convert, this is amazing. Somebody came to Jesus, this is, this is great. And then it's like, oh, now, now I got to walk alongside him. Ugh. And so here's what we tend to do. Even in our society, we don't really put a whole lot of emphasis in maturing as a culture. What we put a lot of effort and what we put a lot of focus on is achieving and doing. Right? Here's all the stuff that I can get. Here's all the stuff that I can do. Let me pack my schedule. But the thing is, the more that we achieve and the more that we do, we seem to become less and less whole as a person. And in that lack of maturity and in that lack of growth, in that lack of wholeness, what we do is we isolate. And man, we are key at this in South Florida. When I got hired on here at Spanish River about nine years ago, one of the things they had me do was put together a local cultural analysis of Boca Raton and Palm Beach County. You can do this. I, I, you know, I bought like census data. I bought different um, questionnaire data. All, there's all this kind of stuff that you can get. And I compiled it all. And here's one of the interesting things that I found in doing that. It's true today as it was about nine, eight years ago when I did it is um, South Florida is highly individualistic and highly isolated. And you want to know one of the main reasons why? Swimming pools. Think about it. Think about it. Where does your swimming... We have per capita probably the most... Southern Texas has a lot as well, but probably the most swimming pools in the world. And where does everybody's swimming pool sit? In the backyard. We're what is known as a backyard culture. We don't sit out on porches. We don't go outside on hikes and see people around. Maybe if you have a dog. We are not like the Midwest. People don't hang out out front. People hang out out back. And then because of the heat, you know what we like to do? We sit in our air-conditioned cars, drive up to our house, put the garage door up, drive in, put the garage door down. There's a person here on staff, I won't say who it is, but 
They moved a couple of years ago here from one neighborhood to another. And they told me it was, I believe it was about two months, had still never met any of their neighbors. I heard a yep. Like, it's true, right? Like, and you're probably a part of that. And, and let's be honest, we're probably guilty of that as well. Because you know what? We have our own thing going. We got our own job going. We got our own families going. You know what? And it's hot outside. And they're new. And we just do our own thing. And we isolate. And we do the same thing in the church. We say, you know what? I got all that. I'm good. I can do my own thing. I don't, I don't need that community. And yet, look, look at verse 16. Here Paul says, from whom the whole body is joined. He's talking about Christ's body. He's using, again, the understanding that the church is made up of a body. But he's saying here, this is Christ's body. And it is held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it grows and it builds itself up in love. This is the church body, and it's held together by these joints, it says. That's like ligaments. And those ligaments that hold the church together are our connections, are our community, are our relationships. This church, the church, cannot grow in fullness and cannot grow in maturity outside of connections and relationships. And yet so many of us live such isolating lives. Highly individualistic. We do our own thing. I'll poke in from time to time. Plato, great Greek philosopher, um, uh, used to say that there are three essentials to wholeness. Or another way to understand that would be maturity of any human being. He said every human being who needs to be completely whole needs to exhibit true, good, and beauty. True, good, and beauty. Now, if you look at this from, from a Christian perspective, right? From a church perspective, truth, truth we like. It's quantifiable, right? That's facts. That's doctrine. That's Jesus, God, cross, resurrection. All right, truth. We got that. We like that as a culture as well, don't we? It's tweetable. Facts don't care about your feelings. Uh, hashtag. But the second one is good. Good deals with our morality. Good deals with our ethics. Again, quantifiable. I know how to live. I know what I'm supposed to do. But the third one, I believe, is the one that we have divorced. Not just culturally, but sometimes also in the church. And beauty is the one that's harder to sometimes understand. And here's the thing. Beauty is the one that takes work. Beauty is the relationships. Beauty is crying back in the children's area when you're picking up your kids because life is hard and you need someone to pray for you. And somebody comes up and puts their hands around you who you know and prays over you and cares for you. Beauty is when you're in the hospital and a group of people show up from your church and pray over you and care for you. Beauty is the connection. Beauty is the relationships. Beauty is what brings about the growth and maturity of not just the people in the church, but the church itself. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is closing this entire section by saying, to whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it grows to uh, build itself up 
in love. It's a beautiful thing, but it's hard. When I was a kid, I used to get growing pains. Did you ever used to get those? Like those joint pains in your knee, typically? Because you would hit a growth spurt. (laughs) You're surprised. You're like, Brian, you grew? I did at one point. Thank you. All right. But I remember I used to get them in my knees. And what is it? But the the ligaments, as, as the body grows faster than the skeletal structure can. And here's the thing. Growth happens, but it's hard. But what's the goal of that growth? What is it in the purpose of maturing us and maturing this church? What is the goal of it? What is the purpose behind all of it? And in our last little bit of time, that's what I want us to understand. There's three things. One is unity. Two is, oh, they're already getting up there. Two is going to be ministry. And third is going to be Christ-likeness. So let's look through these. Let's pick up first in verse 13. So he said what the ultimate purpose is of the church and of Christ's body, right? But in verse 13, he says this, until we all attain, right? So attaining it, it's, it's a process. This aspect of growth, much like it was for you and I when we went from infant to toddler to adolescent to adult to still growing up in many ways, He's saying, look, you're attaining this. You're still working towards it to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In all of this, he's saying, look, there needs to be unity. In maturity comes a sense of humility, a sense of patience and peace that says, okay, There's not this divisiveness and defensiveness that immediately creeps up and looks to split up everything. Kind of like everything in the news right now. But that's that's how he actually starts this passage. This element of unity is huge. Look at verse 1. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, I urge you. Here it is again. He's like, I'm urging you. You got to work on this. You got to work on this. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. All of this, your unity as a church, as a people, is built on our calling. All of us have been called. To those whom the Holy Spirit has revealed himself and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and have given their lives over to him, you have answered your call. Okay? But in answering the call, you have also received a calling. So in in answering the call of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have now received a calling. And this calling gives us a destination. It determines what we do. It shapes our behavior, forms our life. And here's the interesting thing about that word calling. Calling in the Latin is actually um, associated with, uh, well, Latin word for call is vocare. This is the easier way to explain it. Vocare, it's where we get the word vocation. Your calling is your vocation. It's not your job. And there's a difference. We look at job and what do we think? That's my nine to five, right? Although nobody really works nine to five. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That's your job, which means that when you clock out, you're done. You go home and you do what you want to do. You chill out. This is your time now, your life You don't have to worry about the job, but your vocation is different. Your vocation is all-encompassing. 
It's a, it's, it's a way of life. It's comprehensive. And so our calling is a part of everything that we are. And our calling into this church is influenced in that way. It shapes our lives. It gives contents to our lives. It categorizes the way we live our lives. It deals with our singleness. It deals with our relationships. It deals with our kids. It deals with our job and our parent, everything. And so he's saying, look, this is a part of who you are. But here's the interesting thing. So he's saying, look, this, this is your vocation. You have been called. You have a calling but the Greek word for called, it is, it is the word kletos, 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 yeah, ekklesia, ekletos, ekletos. And what that is, ekletos is actually the root word for church. So the Greek word for called is also the same root word used for church. You have been called into a congregation as a way of life. This is who you are. And he's saying, and he's encouraging his church here in Ephesus, and he's encouraging us. He says, look, do not be so divisive. Do not be so disunified. Because what does it do? But it damages not only your maturity in growing up in the church, but it destroys your witness in the world and culture around you. If you go to a symphony and you see the entire orchestra in front of you and all of a sudden the woodwinds are like, you know what? We don't want to play this anymore. I'm feeling a little Mozart. And they just completely go off course and start playing something else. And the brass section is like, you know, we watched Star Wars last night, so we're going to play some John Williams. And they just start playing that. And then next thing you know, every percussion's playing something else. Everybody's playing different aspects. And it's a mess. And nobody wants to stay and listen to it. But how beautiful is it when the harmony starts to set in? See, Paul says, this is where your unity lies. He says this, picking up in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. He says, this is your unifying factor. In the same way, he says that there is one Spirit, one, one, one Lord, which would be Jesus, and then one Father. In the same way that God and triune is unified, so also you guys are unified in this. And what that does is that sings beautifully to the culture outside. To a world that is highly defensive, always angry, always combative. There is a, there is a church that is unified in its love for their Savior. Unified in the gospel that is preached and in sharing it with others. And that, that simplicity is beautiful in a world of complexity. But it's not just that, that the unifying aspect of it, but it's also contributing your ministry. He says this in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he's continuing this thought that he starts in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascends on high, he led a host of captives to give gifts to men. 
So the grace that he's speaking about here isn't saving grace. This isn't the message of the gospel, but this is additional grace. This is gifts, or actually the word used is ministries that are given to the people. And he continues, if you look at verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We live in a culture that's all about being served. That's all about, hey man, I'm going to come, I'm going to sit, I'm going to enjoy, and then I'm going to leave. And yet what Paul is saying, no, 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 in order for maturity to take place, in order for wholeness and the church to grow and be built up, not just as individuals, but as a whole, happens when everybody understands that they have a role to play and takes up, takes up what? But their ministry in the way that God has given them grace. And this is not a grace that is fought for. This is a grace that has been given to each of us as Christ allots. David talked about this a couple weeks ago. We all make up different parts of the body. And whether it's serving coffee or whether it's working with kids or whether it's leading a life group, we have opportunities to step in and serve and minister where God has given us grace. But yet so often it can be real easy to just kind of come in, do your thing, listen, and leave. I got to see my first Inter-Miami uh, soccer game a couple weeks ago. It was a blast. It was a night game. It was fun. I remember going to Lockhart Stadium when it was uh, old high school football games. If any of you remember back then, used to watch the Yankees play next door for spring training. I'm old school. But I got to go down and see the brand new stadium. It was awesome. But so often people will say, man, the church is a lot like a soccer match. You got 22 people down on the field and 22,000 in the stands. 22 people that really need a break and 22,000 that need to start running, right? But here's the thing. We all get to be a part of the game. Christ has called you and he has gifted you to be a part of the game. And here's how that works. See, if all of us are on the field and we're playing and we have the teachers and we have the equippers who are our coaches, then who's in the stands? Our family, our friends, our community that are sitting here watching us minister. How amazing is it when you're playing the game and you're ministering and all of a sudden your neighbor sees all these people walking into your house to study the Bible and pray together? How amazing is it when a nurse is sitting there hooking up an IV and a group of people come by to pray over somebody who's in the hospital? I know that's hard right now because of COVID, but... Or just bringing over a meal. Or what does it look like when you get to explain to your family, hey, I can't be there because I'm actually going to be helping out with a group of kids at my church that I get to pour into. They get to see that. And here's the beauty of it. It's the Holy Spirit that's the lights that is illuminating that and showcasing the church in a community and a lost world that is watching. And what that does is it adds to our maturity and our wholeness. I used to tell my students all the time, I was like, the best way that you're ever going to learn this material that I teach is not to just sit there and read through it, is not even to memorize it, but is to teach it yourself. I used to tell them, I was like, the best way you can learn this material, teach it to your parents, teach it to your dogs, set up stuffed animals, but teach it. 
And the best way that we grow in our maturity is by doing ministry. So often we'll think like, man, I'm just here. I just want to be fed. I'm just here to be encouraged and, being fed and, and you need to be fed by the word. You know what that gets you? It gets you fat. You know what's going to make you truly hungry for the word is to exercise. I don't know anybody that gorges on food and then goes and runs a 5K. You feel like garbage. You don't want to run. After you eat, you want to sit on the couch. But if you work out first, if you go run a 5K, how do you feel afterwards? You're famished. You can't wait to eat. And here, Paul is saying, this is what we're equipped for. This is what we need to go do. Finally, is this, is growing in Christ's likeness. He closes out towards the end of this passage in verse 15. Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The goal on a personal side for all of us Namely, is basically that, that we might become more like the person of Christ. When we're connected to the body in those relationships, when we're connected to the body through, through the regular worship on Sundays, when we're connected in our life groups, what does that do? But it surrounds us with like-minded people. I don't know who said it, but I remember being told this as a kid. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You heard that? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Well, who are we allowing to influence us? What are we, what are we surrounding our core relationships with? And it doesn't mean we don't have non-Christian friends. We absolutely do. But where are the impactful relationships in our lives that are dictating how we love and how we care and how we encourage one another? What is it that is, that is motivating us to become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ? And here's the beauty of that in the gospel. The beauty of that in the gospel is this. It's that that is the original image of which we were created in. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, what were they? But they were perfect. In right standing in relationship with God the Father. They were like him. They weren't God. They were a creation of him. But they exhibited all the fruits of the spirit to its fullest Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. There was no sin. They were made in God's image, fully, without blemish. And yet they bought the lie. And like every lie, there's an element of truth in it. They bought the lie that they weren't enough like him, that they needed to know good and evil. And so they disobeyed him and they ate of the tree bringing death upon themselves and all of their posterity and all that would come after them. Separated from God the Father, yes, but now broken spiritually, not just broken, dead spiritually, dead eternally, dead physically. And yet the beauty of the gospel is what is he doing? But, but God himself in human form Building a church and a people. Meeting God's standard of perfection, willingly and obediently sacrificing his own life, taking death on himself as our substitute. Shedding his own blood for the forgiveness of sins. That those whom the Holy Spirit has spoken to and who have answered the call and who now have a calling understand new life and forgiveness and fullness in him. 
and are being grown up in unity and in ministry to become more and more like the God who gave his life for them. That's the goal of this. Christ came to build a church. And the church's purpose is to grow and become whole and mature. That there might be unity in a world that is so disunified and disjointed and abrasive. That we might see ministry happening, not just from those on stage, but from the whole congregation that are living out their grace to a watching world. And more and more being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I wish I could tell you it works perfectly and it's easy and it happens like that. But it's a process. It is a major process for me as it is for all of you. But it's a process I'm not in alone. And neither are you. Pray with me, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I do. I thank you for the gift of your salvation. Lord, that you willingly and obediently gave your own life that we might have new life in you. And Lord, you are building your church. And Lord, you are growing it and maturing it. And so Lord, may we be zealous for unity. In the same way that you are unified in spirit and father and son, Lord, may we be united around you and your gospel. Lord, may we embrace that we are not here to go to church, but to be the church. Lord, that we will take the grace that has been allotted to us and serve in our ministries, that a watching world would see and give glory to you. And Lord, in all of this, may we please, as individuals, as a church, be continuing to grow in our likeness of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit, for he alone can do this, and he is faithful to. In the name of Jesus, we pray this in all things. Amen.